Okay. Thank you for tuning in to NYU Wagner's podcast series. I'm Kyle Rowland. Here at the PolicyCast, we connect with members of the NYU community to discuss issues that we're facing today, to learn their perspectives, and to hear their stories. Joining us today is Stephanie Rosas. Stephanie is a first-generation Mexican-American and a second-year advocacy and political action student at NYU Wagner. Uh, Stephanie and I discuss mutual aid efforts in the face of COVID and how mutual aid works, uh, existing structural inequalities that are further exacerbated by the pandemic, the difference between mutual aid and charity, advocacy and organizing. This episode is episode one of a series of episodes about mutual aid in which we profile members of the NYU community doing work in their own communities. Thank you for tuning in. We think you'll enjoy this one. Stephanie, welcome to the PolicyCast. Hi, Kyle. Thank you for having me. I think this is uh, really awesome work you guys are doing. Well, we're very happy to have you and excited for our conversation today. Great. Well, let's jump to it. Um, so today we're talking about mutual aid efforts in marginalized communities in the face of COVID. Um, could you open up our conversation by laying some context on how COVID has affected marginalized communities? Yeah, so amid COVID-19, you know, communities across the country are organizing to provide relief directly to the people that the government has failed to provide. Um, and as we know, the COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted deep social problems and has affected the most vulnerable black and brown communities. And as we see these times, we've seen how institutional aid efforts, our economic system and our healthcare system have created ripple effects that disproportionately affect people of color. And it's frustrating because time and time again, we see that the needs of capitalism uh, supersede those of actual people and big corporations are forcing underpaid workers to put themselves at risk so they could continue their business as usual. Um, we have workers deciding whether they should go into work um, and possibly get infected or stay at home and then not be able to feed their, their families. So as a response, uh, people are beginning to organize mutual aid efforts across the country as a way to make up for the lack of governmental support and the need of the communities. If you could talk on that for a little bit, could you give us a background and expand on what is mutual aid and how are you involved and what kind of work uh, are you doing with regard to mutual aid? Yeah, so in systems of mutual aid, uh, communities take on the responsibility for caring for one another rather than forcing individuals to fend for themselves. So basically it's solidarity and not charity. Rather than creating a centralized organization where one person is giving to someone else, forcing them to become dependent on yet another relationship, like negotiating the access to material resources, mutual aid creates a symbiotic relationship where all people offer material goods or assistance to one another. We're just helping everyone that needs to help and not expecting anything in return. And uh, right now I'm volunteering with the Mutual Aid Tenant Collective of Hudson County, which is shortened for MATCH, and Brick City Mutual Aid in Newark, New Jersey. And both mutual aids came from the food insecurity needs in both counties, especially amid COVID-19, where we saw this increase substantially for everything going on in the communities. Um, and we saw food insecurity being a high risk in many of these communities, and we saw the aid wasn't getting to them. Um, so a bunch of comrades and myself came together to form you know, Brick City Mutual Aid, and to expand on the mutual aid sense of collection of Hudson County. It sounds like 
mutual aid is need agnostic in that, uh, as you said, it's solidarity and not charity. Um, could you further explain that distinction um, in terms of how mutual aid differs from other already existing aid efforts? Yeah, well, you see charities and nonprofit organizations involve getting the rich, um, giving a minuscule part of their wealth to aid the poor, right? When the rich decide who and what gets funded, the structures that keep capitalist class powerful don't get challenged. So with mutual aids, we don't have expectations. We don't say, oh, you can only get the help if you fit X and Y description. And uh, mutual aid organizing is volunteer run. So it's transparent and is driven by the needs specifically by our community members. So we like to say we stand with solidarity and it's not charity work, again, because we're not asking for something in return. Yeah, so it, so it sounds like the dynamic of traditional aid or NGO or charity work is shifted in that uh, with mutual aid, it's community members helping other community members on a more equal level as opposed to um, the wealthy helping the poor, for example. Uh, yeah, so if you would consider that a fair understanding, maybe you could add some nuance to our understanding of how a mutual aid effort operates. Yes, it's a lot of community helping community. All of our donations we are getting are from the community, are from people of the community who themselves probably don't have much. And so we have activists from different immigrant justice groups who get in touch with folks in the community who were already in need, right? We ask them how they were doing, they, they express their need. And then we have an intake team who organizes this information and then we coordinate it with volunteer drivers. Everyone, again, are volunteers. So after we receive the information uh, that is from the intake team, everything is put into a form that gets dispersed into a chat group that we have. And drivers say, okay, I'm willing to pick up this delivery. And I will, they go out, they buy the groceries needed, and they deliver it to the person. Then the treasurers reimburse the drivers for the funds, again, that were donated by community members. And all of this is done within two to three days of the first uh, call that we made to the folk in need or the family in need. We also ask if it's urgent, we ask questions based on um, how food insecure they are. And if we see that they are urgent, like they don't have food to eat in the next one to two days, we, we will say it's urgent. And one of the volunteer drivers tries to get it out on that same day. We are doing food deliveries. We are we buying baby supplies as well, uh, Pampers, baby wipes, formula, and uh, medications. Then we also go ahead and buy that for them. We're doing feminine products, hygienic products, uh, really anything that the family needs, then we buy it for them. Around 18 volunteers have made around 197 deliveries to families. And again, we are all, everyone is 100% of the donations go to these deliveries that we make. And uh, all the people working in these mutual aids, we're all volunteers. Um, how do you identify the people in need? And where does the funding for an organization like this come from? Uh, so we identified the people in need. It started again with uh, these immigrant justice groups. We're working with a group called Cosecha. They're a movement fighting for permanent protection, dignity, and respect for all immigrants. Too. And first, they give us 
again, just families who had already gone to them prior to this. And they call them, they see how are they doing. And then from there, it just kind of rolls like word of by word of mouth. We have once we had delivered, then another family, you know, they tell another family member, oh, I know somebody who is um, isn't receiving any government aid, who right now isn't working, who uh, suffered from complications of COVID X, Y, and C. And we get referrals in that way. And then we just call them, we assess, we do a needs-based assessment, we see how the, the food insecure that they're in and what they need. And we go based on that. So it became, it started slowly being, okay, there's this need in the community. We have, uh, we're working with immigrant rights justice groups to get some families, but then it just became word of mouth. So many other families, oh, I have an aunt, I have a cousin, I have a sister, I have a neighbor. And it just began rolling like that. The donations, again, we just uh, have a Facebook group and we put our, what, who we are and donations are coming in just from the community. We are not receiving donations from anywhere else. It's just based off uh, friends, uh, people that know us, or people that know the people doing the work and getting donations through there. Okay, so it's it, it, in a way, it's like um, people in the community are donating to this organization and then that money and those resources are being redistributed to other people in the community that have needs? Yes, exactly. Um, how did you get involved? So you mentioned that you are working at the Mutual Aid Tenant Collective of Hudson County and Brick City Mutual Aid in Newark, New Jersey. Could you talk to us about how you got involved with them and how you got introduced to uh, this these organizations? Yeah, so once uh, COVID started, I knew right away, being from a mixed status family, that a lot of the help wasn't going to get into the community, wasn't going to be funneled into the community because of, you know, documentation, immigrant status. And I just saw, I just knew that there was going to, this was going to hit a lot of folks differently. Even in North Bergen and Hudson County in New Jersey, this community is predominantly made of immigrants. Again, with jobs closing and people being out of work, uh, immigrant communities hit from all sides. And as we know, the president chose to leave many of these immigrants out of economic relief checks. And being that many of them do not receive any federal state aid, they also couldn't get food stamps or unemployment. They're basically left to fend for themselves. So I went on Facebook and I tried to, you know, I was like, what is being done, right? How can we help the community? What can I do to help the community? And I knew about mutual aid efforts that, you know, prompted once uh, Sandy hit here in, um, in our community. And so I kind of was a little bit knowledgeable that it existed, but I wanted it to do more work. So I went ahead. I just asked questions in the Facebook groups that I found that how could we set up something to help the communities. And then that's how it all started. And just like me, we had many other comrades who wanted who had the same need of like wanting to help folks and we just got together and created this wonderful uh mutual aid but it's important for us to remember that the um, vulnerabilities of these communities existed way before the crisis and so we already had a community that you know fell below the federal poverty line and again now with the whole covid amid the covid situation they had to see if they were going to go to work and get um just stay home and not be able to feed their families so to me what is incredible about this is it's almost like a uh, a form of social entrepreneurship could you 
explain the process of how a mutual aid organization gets off the ground. So let's say somebody in a community uh, would like to create their own organization. What is the process step-by-step step, uh, that they can do to uh, build a mutual aid organization? Well, I think first is um, finding people, right, to have the same uh, desire as yourself to help, right? Finding um, one thing that unites everybody and it's, okay, we want to work on this. I think that's priority to, to get just a network of people willing to make this happen and who you know, have the time and resources, right? Because we have to be aware that not everybody can provide the resources for free and be volunteers. And then from there, being very thematic about what you want to do and how you want to do it. So amongst your team, what type of different roles and responsibilities do people have? We have an intake team, person that people that take the orders. We have drivers, people that are just assigned to be the ones buying the food and delivering the food. And then we have the treasurers, people who are in hands of the money. So it's not like it's all thrown together. We do have to be uh, where we approach this, like if it was our job, right? We have this, we're designing people a role for each thing, but it's also, we, we don't have a boss, right? There's not one person in charge of the whole thing. Everyone is the same level of power. There's no one that's more, has more power than another person, like it would be in a job or in a nonprofit. And it's a lot of communication, seeing what each person is comfortable doing and what they want to do. It's a lot of just working together. So figuring out uh, what roles people want to take. If somebody speaks multiple languages, making sure that they're not only translators, feel like that their job isn't only to translate or be interpreters, that they also have other roles. Um, if somebody moderates a meeting, because you also have meetings um, to discuss funding to discuss um, if things come up we have we want to be able to build something that's sustainable so yes we're helping them but we also want to make sure that they have all the resources they need to help themselves as well should we give them more resources about food pantries are they eligible to apply for food stamps if they are why haven't they or do we have a resource to help them apply for this so it's a lot of constant conversations with the group members to figure out these things that come with it. Somebody's going to ask you, okay, I need, apart from uh, food, I also need clothes for my baby, my baby who was just born, you know, everything is closed. This person doesn't have uh, clothes. So can we find people that are going to donate clothes for, for the child? My recommendation is just getting people that are willing um, to work through all these different hurdles and, again, that are able to volunteer their efforts and just to just have patience and we're all in it together. It's like it's a, everyone is just willing to put in their hands where it's needed and we all help each other out. Yeah. Um, it sounds like the, really the strength of a mutual aid organization is dependent on its ability to network and to understand the needs of the community and to communicate across uh, communities as well. So considering the COVID pandemic and the economic situation that we're in, as well as the social unrest that we see reverberating throughout our communities, what effect do you think this will have on mutual aid efforts in the future? Um, so these community-led responses uh, to the epidemic, I think has provided a model to help the vulnerable. And I think that we should really look into the mutual aid work continuing even after the crisis ends. 
and we should be, right now we're building zones for the generations to come so that they could pick up where we left off. I think it's important that we inform and we continue to build a model for community resilience and collective empowerment. Uh, you know, a model that just values the well-being of immigrants, of Black folks, of people of color, of prisoners, homeless people, the LGBTQ and trans community, many other mar marginalized members of society. Uh, with COVID sharpening our awareness, we have an opportunity and responsibility to improve our social systems to better support society's most vulnerable, not during just during this crisis, but even after it passes. Stephanie, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I've learned a lot and I'm sure our audience will learn a lot as well about mutual aid and the organizing efforts that uh, you're working on right now. I just wanted to see if you had any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with uh, before we conclude the session. We can't organize for better conditions if we're struggling to put food on the table, right? If our neighbors aren't able to sustain themselves or us, or if the cops are harassing us and putting us in danger over the smallest things, uh, we're fighting for change. And also Brick City Mutual and Match uh, stands in solidarity with the Black Lives Matters movement. And we have been attending the protests in cities in New Jersey. We've been giving out water and snacks and masks to all the folks protesting as well. Um, and again, this is just coming from us knowing that there are other issues uh, that we need that needs to be addressed. We create the conditions for real change by taking care of each other, you know, by distributing food, by building community food gardens and, el and eliminating food deserts. We're also doing replacing brake lights to prevent interactions with the police all for free. Um, and we invite you to learn more about the work we're doing by following the Hudson County Mutual Aid on social media at NJMatch. And you could also reach out to Brick City Mutual Aid for the Newark-based mutual aid through email at brickcitymutualaid at protonmail.com, P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. And just to please consider donating. You know, the work is, that we do is for the community, by the community. Again, 100% of the donations go to the families in need. And the volunteers do not get anything off this. This is pure volunteer work, pure work that we're doing because we know it's important for the community um, and it's needed for the community. So you could just consider donating or just if you want to learn more about us, you could reach out to us. Great. Yeah, so absolutely. If somebody is interested in donating to a cause like this, to this organization, which is entirely volunteer led, um, all money goes directly to the efforts uh, of, and needs of the people. So could you say again where uh, where they should go if they're interested in donating? For the Brick City Mutual Aid, which is the Newark-based mutual aid, you could Venmo at Brick City Mutual Aid. That's B-R-I-C-K-S-I-T-Y-M-U-T-U-A-L-A-I-D or cash, cash app us at money sign Brick City Mutual Aid. And for the match, which is a Hudson County mutual aid, you can Venmo us at NJ match. Okay, Venmo, the Venmo handle is NJ match. Yes. Okay, so there we have it. Stephanie Rosas from NYU Wagner Graduate School of Public Service discussing with us uh, the work that she's doing uh, on the ground floor with regard to mutual aid in her community in light of the COVID pandemic. This is the Wagner Review Policy Cast. I'm Kyle Rowland. Stay tuned for more.